far back in the 1980s and 90s, just a couple decades ago, the world's existential crisis at that time was its kind of embodied by this mysterious disease called AIDS and the HIV virus that precipitated it. And unlike cancer, which is another killer without a cure, the AIDS epidemic was different. It was spread definitely through human activity. And you couldn't catch cancer, but you could definitely catch AIDS. It was passed through body fluids, most typically sharing needles, blood transfusions, and of course, unprotected sexual activity. And as the disease moved across borders and oceans, its victims often succumbed quickly. People got it, and then all of a sudden, before you knew it, they were gone. The statistics sent people into this panic of fear and judgment and blame. Junkies, prostitutes, Africans, Haitians, and the gay community for sure took a huge chunk of the blame, and people were stigmatized and ostracized. But when Hollywood stars and professional athletes and musicians and professors and even quote-unquote ordinary people began to contract the disease, this new culture was here. It was officially destined to emerge. And, you know, one of the new relationship milestones, for example, became getting tested together. They'd go to the clinic, they'd find out they were HIV negative, and it was like that special moment in a new couple's courtship where they knew they could trust one another not to get a deadly disease from their partner. So this is now becoming part of the cultural norm. But even as the antiretroviral medicines became available to pro prolong life, so people weren't necessarily going to automatically die from uh, AIDS once they got HIV, there was still no cure. And so this fear and stigma and, and shame is just always kind of lurking under the surface. But while this disease primarily affected sexually active adults, um, it was, again, very non-discriminatory cut across, across all genders and races and social classes and uh, respected no borders. But the continent of Africa, it definitely took the hardest hit. Uh, despite Africa being home to only 15% of the global population, more than two-thirds of the infected worldwide were Africans. And it was, you know, it was poverty, isolation, lack of access to information even about how people are contracting it. It just kind of turned into the perfect storm. And in less than a decade, this entire generation, not completely, but a huge chunk of this generation of adults, was becoming systematically wiped out. And the fallout, you know, was even worse because without, first of all, fully productive workforce, these African communities are becoming economically devastated because it's the adults who are the ones who are, you know, holding down the jobs and financial growth, social development slows down. Um, but the elderly, the infirm, these, these people who rely on their adult children to care for them in their final years because they don't just have a nursing home to go off to, now they're not only left on their own, they're saddled with caring for these millions of abandoned grandchildren who um, in many cases are affected uh, and, and infected by AIDS as well. So um, the social stigma of anyone connected to this disease even left them outcasts in this dystopian nightmare because there is no cure in sight. People are dying everywhere. And again, their poverty and isolation is leaving them unable to even access these drugs. So Ordinarily, trying to mentally unpack such grim statistics, you know, I just can't even, I can't even begin to face it. I want to go back under the covers and curl up in the fetal position. But the story of this grassroots AIDS orphanage that I caught wind of operating on the outskirts of Nairobi, it, it offered this strange glimmer of hope. It's called Nyambani Children's Home, and it was founded in 1992 by this kind of fiery, passionate Jesuit priest. His name was Father Angelo D'Agostino and along with his colleague, Sister Mary Owens, 
Well, the rest of the outside world seems to be paralyzed by a lot of political hand-wringing. This dynamic duo just rolls up their sleeves and they're going to look for solutions from the bottom up. I call it GSD-style activism. And Nimbani means home in Swahili. And it, it basically began with a rented house, three orphaned children, and nothing more to offer these kids other than a safe place to live and a dignified place to die. And the first years of Nimbani's existence, it was basically a revolving door of death. Every time, you know, a, a child died, there's a space for a new one to come in. But eventually they got access to these life-saving antiretroviral drugs. And little by little, the lives of these kids are being prolonged. And again, again, with outside financial support, the international communities, you know, kind of rallying to, to support them. By 2006, uh, this makeshift hospice is now a, a bona fide home. And about 100 orphans are united now as brothers and sisters. Of course, you know, raising 100 orphans is still a drop in the bucket against this epic global conundrum. I mean, we're talking millions dying, but you know, it's a start. And sometimes just bearing witness to the positive actions of others, it can create an energy that leads to further problem solving. At least I always believe that. So the next thing I know, I decided I want to go see this Nambani place for myself. And when I get there, I did discover it's this, it's not a dystopian nightmare, it's a utopian oasis and little tiny houses around this really beautiful lush green compound. And I mean, the kids there were so happy. That's all I could describe them as. And they, they lived as, you know, newfound siblings in these cottages with about 15 other kids and they had these intergenerational house parents so they'd be you know adults and grandparent ages and uh, sometimes in, in fact grandparents that had lost their family came there to work as these house parents and they're teaching the kids life skills and how to be self-reliant how to grow up and uh, retain their native cultural traditions it was really beautiful um, a commercial kitchen prepared nutritious meals they had a youth center playground library they're learning about the world they're learning their classes and at this time kenyan schools did not want these aids orphans around they anything that connected these kids to disease they were not welcome so luckily they had this uh this beautiful compound where they could grow up reaching adulthood li living relatively normal lives and well nimbani's goal was not just to help them survive really again wanted to integrate them back into these extended families at some point tribal communities or if they didn't have that like even just independent living that they they would raise them to adulthood and get them back on their feet again in the communities but you know as i'm watching these kids most of them there they're all elementary age and uh you know the oldest ones are kind of coming up into this tween age stage you know and i'm just wondering like even though these kids right now they feel so safe and loved inside the walls of this community you know what is going to happen to them when they enter their teen years and these are these years when identities start becoming shaped by how we think the rest of the world feels about us and we're interpreting our value in the eyes of others and teens worldwide go through this phase and it's also this age where this like wrath of labels and you know maybe it's racial epithets or emotionally crippling monikers um, schools anywhere nerds losers outcasts they they become these psychological tattoos in a way and they're kind of almost permanent identifiers of how the world sees us and then in turn, it affects how we begin to see ourselves. So now I'm thinking these children, you know, here they are with their HIV and AIDS, and they're, they're not even allowed in Kenya's public schools at that time. So this social stigma 
it really could have as much influence on how their futures play out in a negative way as the life-saving medicines try to help them in a positive way. Again, you know, children everywhere, discovering their inner power is as critical as food and medicine and education and life skills and even love. And, and if they, you know, lots of kids have have all the things that they need, the food, the love, the life, skills, education, good schools. But if they don't feel good about themselves, that's going to transcend. Um, and this global epidemic, you know, this is a, a vital thing that, that the world needs these generation of, of Kenyan children to succeed. Uh, we need them to. And, uh, and so I'm thinking these Nyambani kids, they need opportunities to see themselves really as leaders who can share their skills with others and contribute as much as they take, at least in their minds. Um, so I'm thinking, if there is only a way if we could like intercept these negative labels, AIDS orphan labels, before they infiltrate the psyche of these kids, and we intercept them and replace them with different labels that are actually worthy of their potential. And so this thought bubble, it's kind of hanging over my head, like, yeah, that would be really cool. Like, how could we do something like that? Well, long story short, fate introduces me to this woman named Lloydie Zazer. And Lloydie is a a mother, a teacher, a traveler, a volunteer, a visionary. And I call her my GSD soul sister because she wants to get stuff done in whatever way she can. Um, and she had recently launched this organization called KEST. It stands for Kenya Educational Service Trips. And it's like this holistic volunteerism program where she will bring tourists from the United States and give them opportunities to really transform the lives of Nyambani children and, and other people around Africa who, who are in you know, difficult situations by using whatever they have, whatever skills they have, whether it's business people or teachers or, or crafters and artisans or whatever they have, like how they could, you know, share these gifts that they have with other people to impact the world in a, in a good way. Anyway, Lloyd and I, we kind of hatched this idea. We called it the Young Ambassadors Club. And it was like this social experiment that would rebrand Nyambani teens as leaders. And we're going to give them the tools and training, at least just for this first experiment, to identify vital needs within their community. Not looking at themselves as like, what are my issues and my problems to solve, but the community. So something larger themselves than themselves, and then help them create an action plan to just get started, quote unquote, saving the world. And, and we're just going to redirect their attention outward and how can you help fix this world. And so for two weeks, it was the summer of 2009, and Lloyd and I, we connected 30 Nyambani ambassadors, as we call them now, with 30 teen peers in the U.S. And they had daily email communiques where the, the, the Kenyan kids were no longer orphans. They were no longer victims. They were no longer even children. They were now ambassadors. And, and the, the word just resonated through through all the children's minds, these esteemed pedagogues of their culture and respected representatives of their nation. And these these kids are going to collaborate together as a generation, both the Americans and the Kenyans, to confer on the basically the kind of future that they believe that they deserve. So we're, we're going high level here. And interestingly, this was exactly 10 years before the world would be now grappling with our 
latest existential crisis of our time, which is, you know, the demise of our natural environment. Um, and these new body ambassadors, it's like they were visionaries already locked on to sustainable living practices. And their goals were they picked up trash, they planted trees, they created awareness and educational campaigns about waste disposal. And it was so cool because they had, you know, they didn't have any brain space or time for petty labels like AIDS orphans. That was not identifying them at all. These kids now saw themselves as change agents of the future and protectors of the planet. And they ran with it. And, you know, as Lloydy told me, she's like, you know, we kind of encouraged this long range thinking with them and this vision for their lives. And they just took off. They blossomed, you know, right before our eyes. And um, as Lloydy said, it was like they were born leaders. They didn't even know it. And we just gave these kids the opportunity to kind of simultaneously pay it forward as well as give back. Um, they're, they're working for future generations, but they're also giving back to these Nimbani people who have cared for them. And it changed how they saw themselves, and it changed how the world saw them. And we didn't exactly have a long, def- well-defined program in place. Um, eventually, life moved on with careers and family and such, and like, Lloyd and I lost touch over the years. But recently, again, it's 10 years later, I got a newsletter in the mail from Nyambani. And I always get their, their quarterly newsletters, and I, I always keep them, but I confess I rarely have time to sit down and read for too long. And, um, but I had a few extra minutes uh, of downtime, and I was just kind of scanning over the updates and stories over a cup of coffee. And suddenly, in this newsletter recently, this, the, the words just kind of popped off the page, grabbed my attention. And I see these words, young ambassadors. And I I had to look more closely. And it turned out it was an essay written by this young man named Juan Ziajan. And he's sharing his life journey in his own essay growing up in the Nyambani family. And in particular, he mentioned the impact of Lloydie and his recruitment into the Young Ambassadors Club 10 years ago as this cool turning point in his life career. And And I'm just amazed. As as I read on, Nirmani, like as they continue to lay the tracks down for these children aging through the system, Wanzia, he, he grabbed it and he finished high school, set his sights on the Kenyan Institute of Organic Farming. And today he's running an organic farm at Nyambani Village, which is a, a new expansion to the Nyambani um, concept, which Nyambani Village, it's, this, it's a self-sustaining agricultural-based I call it a social incubator where they've got 1,000 AIDS orphans and 100 destitute elders who'd lost their children who are all impacted by the AIDS pandemic and they're circumventing the missing adult population in this own, their own ecosystem. And uh, it's, it's just genius. And in addition to managing this farm, Mwanzia, he sells produce to the local community, funnels profits back to Nyambani, covers salaries, administrative expenses, expenses, and it, this whole concept just floored me. Um, of, partly because of all the many different leadership programs and projects I've been involved in, along with my colleagues all around the world over the last um, 15 years, I, you know, I've never really had the opportunity to really know what happens to these kids in the bigger picture. I know for a little while, but like, you know, a decade later when they're no longer children and now they're, they're adults and like, what are they doing and how are they living? Uh, what impact, if any, did these new ideas that we offered them have on them? How did it play out? Uh, you know, we didn't really have, you know, the ability to stay in touch, stay communicating. 
But now I'm thinking, so here we are in this new digital age, and I'm discovering this kid named Wanzia that I really didn't know existed before. And he's talking about how this Young Ambassador program had shaped him. So I'm thinking like, all right, well, what if I type Wanzia's name into a Facebook search? Well, it turns out in five seconds, I'm looking at his Facebook page, which is filled with tons of photos, this happy, exuberant guy posing with rows of vegetables. And I mean, just the the whole pride and excitement of what he was doing was captivating. And okay, now I'm also feeling a little bit like a stalker because I'm sort of spying on him. So I typed a little message into into the, the um instant message and I introduced myself I said hey I'm Dina I'm one of the co-founders of that young ambassador program that you were part of a decade ago and I said I just wanted to chat if he had a little bit more time so anyway thing the next thing I know uh and I are having this hour-long whatsapp call where we met you know sort of digitally face to face and he toured me around the farm introduced me to his cows and while we're talking I asked him to take me back take me back 10 years to this whole young ambassador experience like what did it feel like to be recruited into such a club? You're just a kid, you know, what do you know? Like, what did it feel like? What are, what are these activities? And it was so cool. As he spoke, I could just picture this zealous 14-year-old with all this excitement and energy. And he told me how, how they wanted me to be an ambassador and just how big of a deal that was. And and then he went on to talk about how he, once he realized, like, how important he was to to the future, he helped grow that club for the next couple of years. And, uh, and they did all kinds of stuff. But most interestingly, like he's got this fortitude, this charisma of a young influencer. And it was like every subconscious message that he reflected out was being reflected right back at him. And he'd tell me, well, like people would look at him everywhere he went in, a, in kind of this awe, calling out to him saying, you look like a leader. Like everywhere he went, people would would pick up this 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 radiation energy that he had about how he's feeling about himself and they just kept supporting him and telling him he told me over and over they'd say you you're a leader you're going places this kid's going places and of course it just became a a positive feedback loop so and today now he's he's mentoring younger generations on the importance of permaculture sustainable farming practices and these practices that the world desperately needs and this guy is nothing short of a hero and vital to all of our future so after my whatsapp call with uh wanzia i reached out to lloydie and we reconnected and I said, you know, I met Wanzia. Like, what are the rest of these kids doing? Are you still in touch with them? And she said that almost all the children from this original ambassadors group have grown up to be successful, thriving, running their own businesses. And she said, by opening up their hearts and minds to success and accomplishment, it's like we were giving them their potential. And I always believe uh, by changing how children feel about themselves, they can change themselves they can change their community their country their world but it was cool because lady said you know she she just completed her 24th trip to kenya with kest over 200 visitors have gotten involved in life-changing empowerment initiatives um i mean everything from girls education feeding reading programs business economic development on and on these kest programs that her volunteers are bringing and they're facilitating this long-range thinking and self-reliance and and just dignity for the Kenyan people but it's helping these Americans find 
this home as she described it in their own hearts like they had this fullness that they could never get and they weren't born into poverty these american travelers they did not have aids they did not have stigma against them but there were these missing pieces in their life and it wasn't until they took their skills and started sharing them with others for the wholeness of our world for for helping everybody it what they they didn't feel full themselves so it you know just kind of really hit me that no matter who we are, no matter what our life challenges are, some of them are way more complicated than others, but when we not only help ourselves, but we use our skills to help others, life really comes full circle. It fills in all of our missing pieces, and it is when we are truly at home. I'm Dina Fessler. If you'd like to be part of the GSD network and receive more enlightening and entertaining adventures from around the world, you can subscribe at gsdnetwork.net.